Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike. Mike Zlatnik. And today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome back my really good friend, Matt Burke. Hi, Matt. Hey, Mike. Thank you kindly for coming to the podcast. Uh, You were a guest before and you're coming again. And we just come back from the best ever conference. And Very Best had a great event there called the Pitch Fest. sponsoring a great number of folks that came forward with deals and very best launched a fund builder. But before we do, we dive into that. Any Anything new and exciting in the world of Matt Burke? Huh. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm just uh, dealing with all the same things in the world that everybody else is dealing with. So, uh, you know, one, one day at a time. But, uh, yeah, I, it, life's good. Kids are good, you know. Life is good and uh, plenty of challenges to navigate, but, um, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't have it any other way. Appreciate that. And for the audience, I forgot to introduce you. You are the CEO of Fairway America LLC, as well as the Very Vest uh, LLC. And the Very Vest is a fund administrator. We love working, for very, very, working with Very Vest and working for many years. And same thing with Fairway. All right. So let's dive into... Fund Builder. So Veryvest just launched Fund Builder. Could you tell folks a little bit about the tool? It's a very powerful tool. It's a great tool for folks to build new uh, documentation and structure for new syndications and funds. Yeah, I think what we've, well, as, as you know, Mike, and uh, for the benefit of the listeners, I, I really what kind of founded Veryvest, what got it started was the our advisory business of helping small and and emerging real estate managers try to set up their own vehicles to to launch um, you know real estate offerings and so I think historically people have always gone to uh, lawyers which is of course good and necessary but the value we've tried to bring from the perspective of a longtime fund manager is is bringing advice and guidance around all of the issues that somebody's going to face in the totality of running a a real estate asset-based investment fund right and there's there is the legal angle which is important but there's also the accounting angle there's the origination angle you know acquisitions there's asset management there's capital raising there's investor relations right and they all have they all affect everything else so you know in 2012 13 we started doing uh, advisory work for people and it really was an outflow of people coming to me asking me about you know hey matt i know you've done a bunch of funds and i'm thinking about setting up a fund you know what do you think of this what do you think of that how should i do this what are these issues right and that gave rise to a business that in the last 10 years we've done several hundred uh, engagements where we've played kind of a lead advisory role to these real estate managers to set up uh, their own uh, pooled investment fund that, that, in my judgment, just has a far greater chance of success if you set it up properly in the first place. So that's been kind of the core of our business model. That that gave rise to our administration business, which is doing the 
back office tracking and accounting of, of pooled investment funds on behalf of those managers, right? But but the the advisory came before the admin, right? The admin was an outflow of the advisory. So what Fund Builder then is to to come back to that is we've now, you know, ten years later we're bringing technology to the process of the creation and the advisory work of those entities on the front end to help people streamline it, make it less expensive, less time consuming, easier to get started, uh, and, and just overall allow them you know, a greater chance of success by using the tools that we provide. So Mike, we still have an advisory component to our business, but the fund builder piece allows us to do it much quicker because it automates that process. Yeah, that's a great overview. And from my own personal experience, um, receiving the help of your advisory business, having set up our uh, multiple of our funds through your advisory. I can tell you that that process was slower and expensive then. I remember writing you a check for $35,000, dollars $50,000. And now you have it through technology available for what? Under $5,000, you could launch a fund or a syndication uh, with all the documentation and uh, all the filings, Form D and the Blue Sky, from what I understand, it all is included for five grand, which is a which yeah, is well, a ridiculous good price. Filings are separate, right? Because those are those are state by state and, and you know government municipality by municipality. So people are responsible for just the actual costs of whatever those are. So the you know the forty nine fifty for fund builder includes the set up, you know, all of the documents, a profile listing on our site, a listing on the opportunity page, right, which which is a effectively a marketing site for the manager to be able to use with their investors. Um, and, and then there's an ongoing uh, quarterly cost, which then we perform the administrative work to produce the financial statements on a quarterly basis after the fact. Uh, right now, Mike, it only does individual single asset syndications. We're working on the pooled investment fund uh, product that should be ready sometime this summer uh, if all goes well. And but we still have our offline advisory work where we do where we'll help people, and that is greatly streamlined from what you know, you know back when we did your first fund, which is probably going on eight or nine years now, uh, right? So you know we've made incremental improvements over time. And now we're really taking a technology approach, a technology first approach to the whole process to automate it as much as we possibly can. Yeah, and that's great. And uh, I think most folks need this indication, especially a, a, uh, a single deal syndications, they happen every day, left and right. And nothing wrong with attorneys, they're wonderful attorneys, uh, but they do uh, cost uh, a bit more than, than this, sometimes a lot more than that. It's a it's a way to learn launch uh, new smaller deals rather rather quickly. Uh, I'm sure in a big syndication, folks may still decide to go with an attorney. Oh yeah, and Mike, we we in fact we encourage people and we we strongly recommend that people have counsel involved. But we've also, of course, hired counsel to you know consult and advise and draft all of the documents that we use. Different people have their own counsel. We have arrangements or relationships with multiple uh, counsel who have blessed the documents that we're happy to refer people to. So we can certainly help grease the, the skids there. I think people still want, you know, counsel to represent them, but they don't necessarily need counsel on the front end to provide the sort of business advice and guidance on 
how to set it up, what kind of fees you, you might charge, what the structure is, how it matches the asset model. You know, that's where the real value is in my judgment. And I think, you know, speaking from your own experience, I, I know that, you know, you've been able to, to support that, you know, opinion. Yeah, it makes sense. So what I really like about the tool is also the fact that it's going to be all set up within the very best platform. As folks launch their, their syndication and they need to do fund administration or syndication administration, it becomes essentially ready on the very best for uh, a very fluid transition uh, from the launch into the uh, the ready process, right? And yeah, I would say a big part of the value is also that it includes a profile page on the site where it has all the information about the manager, their company, the principals, uh, you know, their story, and it has the, an opportunity page that includes specific information about the opportunity that an investor can see. So it also obviates the need for somebody to prepare their own marketing material, PowerPoints, websites, right? So it's kind of an all-in-one tool. It's not just the, the documents and the setup. It's also the, the marketing uh, materials that are necessary to be able to communicate with their investors. And I think that's very helpful. The marketing materials, the critical is uh, a fund is a vehicle, syndication is a vehicle. You still need to have the marketing engine to be able to uh, get the message out. So that, that's absolutely awesome. So let's now switch and continue the conversation, talk about some recent events. We're recording this on uh, March 14th. It'll go out fairly soon, but we've, we, we've had, um, uh, I, I don't know how else to put it, an exciting uh, last few days. It's been not necessarily from a good point of view, but a couple of banks failed, and uh, it's it it feels nerve nerve wracking. Number of banks um, look like at least regional banks that uh, there are concerns, and yeah. uh, some of it is coming from the Fed too fast and too furious action, raising interest rates to curb the inflation. And undesired side effect was that many banks buy these treasuries and they didn't realize what happens to these long duration treasuries when the interest rates spike, the treasuries fall in their value. It's supposed to be safe, yep. but it's not. Yeah, it's amazing how fast it happens, isn't it? I mean, banking is the ultimate confidence game, right? And when people lose confidence in, in a bank and, and there's a run and they're forced to sell assets in order to meet deposits it's, it can happen extremely quickly but uh, you know in my judgment mike you're right this is a direct result of of the rapidly increasing historically rapidly increasing interest rates and unaffected or undesired uh side consequences to you know the fed attempting to rein in inflation now, I read this morning in the Wall Street Journal that inflation numbers are down again, uh, which is not a big surprise if you look at the a big portion of what is measured in the inflation indexes are are you know rents, which you know, uh, but they they lag by five six months. So the fact that they have been dropping, you're just now starting to see it. So uh, yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see what the Fed does here at their next uh, at their next meeting and whether they go through with another aggressive round of increases or if they back off or even, you know, pause momentarily, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, we don't know that information will come out soon, but uh, certainly uh, the recent events should uh, give them at least a reason to consider uh, slowing down. And uh, there's the term uh, that the Fed action has long and variable lag legs. 
So the action now will not be seen for another six months. It's almost to the point that they've done enough. They've done enough, and whether they stop now or they push it a little bit more, the damage has been done. And we talked about this, that uh, a lot of real estate deals that kind of went into life uh, a few years back before the rates went up, now might, might, might face challenges. It actually came up at the conference. It's almost shocking uh, what percentage of the deals, of the value-add deals, uh, were financed with bridge debt. If you think about it, virtually all of them. Well, yeah, I mean, by definition, right, a value-add deal implies, you know, that there's something to be done to get the property from where it is today to some future state. And in those instances, unless you're putting down massive amounts of equity, far more than most sponsors are willing to do, uh, you know, you really you can't get fixed rate debt. It's it's variable rate debt. You can put a cap on it. Right. But if you look at the forward curves of what the expectations have been over the last six months or a year and you bought a, you know, you were going to try to pay for a cap. Most people concluded those caps weren't worth the price. Now, well, they certainly were <laughs> with the benefit of hindsight. Right. But hindsight's twenty twenty. So, yeah, I think that the you know, we're we're out looking on some of the deals at Fairway. We've been talking with some very active debt shops and you know the consensus is from you know these are guys my age that have been in the business a long time Mike. i mean and it's it is some of the wildest craziest uh, debt markets any of these people have ever seen right i mean debt quotes are you know six seven eight hundred over sofer i mean you know you're looking at 10 11 12 13 percent interest rates for bridge debt I mean, it, it's it's hard to even fathom, you know, how fast all of this has been thrust upon, you know, real estate people in the last, you know, six, nine months. Yeah, it's a great point. Well, the volatility is up. That that spread goes up substantially when the volatility and uncertainty is up. And we are living in uh, the period of uh, increased uncertainty and uh, increased uh, concern of what's going to happen. And, of course, the, the spreads are are gigantic. So maybe that's why the deal flow, the new deal flow kind of all froze. Of course. Of course. And even, you know, I mean, we're seeing, I, I got a, we have a deal, we're a large deal that we're in where the deal itself is going great. I mean, we're ahead of schedule on basically every metric on the execution of the business plan. But the lender uh, who has having problems behind the scene, you know, with their own, you know, financing structure, and they can't fund and they won't fund. And of course, they're making all kinds of excuses and reasons why they're not funding and trying to point to the loan documents. But at the end of the day, you know, they don't have the money. So now you've got a situation where, you know, how do you, I mean, you're talking millions and millions of dollars of operating reserves, paying utility bills, paying contractors, paying interest reserves of all the money that's sitting there that you can't get access to. So, you know, and then they threaten you to, threatening to put you into default if you don't come in and rebalance the loan with millions of dollars of additional equity that you don't really even need. I mean, you know, it's this kind of stuff is happening out in the marketplace. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, I haven't seen times or situations like this since the Great Recession, you know. So it's, uh, you know, it's serious out there right now. Yeah, man, and that's a great point that some of these banks um, actually don't want to even advance the cash they committed to advancing 
And well, it's, it's not even that they don't want to, Mike, in a lot of cases, and they're not banks, right? These are debt funds. Right, large debt funds that have raised capital through whether they're individual high net worth investors or institutional groups and have leverage, you know, from banks on those lines. It's like they fly, you know, because some of that, you know, the commitments they make to invest in, in construction draws in the future are predicated on models that that you know anticipate payoffs happening in in historical patterns. Right. Well, all of a sudden, payoffs are not happening. So you might expect, for example, you know, 30 or 40 percent of your portfolio in any given quarter or year to pay off. Right. And you would recycle that money to meet the contractual obligations for future funding on construction projects. But if all of a sudden that goes to zero or five or 10 percent instead of 40, where do you get the money to fund those commitments? Right. It's, yeah. It is. You're absolutely right. The pattern broke. Whatever used to work for a long time uh, broke. And I guess you can't blame Fed for everything, but uh, they kept things steady. They deserve policy for a long time, got everyone everyone accustomed and used to certain standards and certain behaviors. And then they moved things up too fast and too furious. And that's breaking the system up. The system is destabilized. And we still yet to see what what consequences. And even these lenders are not necessarily banks, but they are impacted in some other ways. Uh, like you said, the payoffs are not coming in. Probably fresh money, harder to raise. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. they were relying on banks. The banks may be freezing some of their yeah, lines of credit. Raising money, you're out of covenant with your underlying bank lender that you use to leverage the funds. Right? New investors aren't making commitments because they're worried about existing assets. Payoffs aren't coming in, and all of a sudden, when money's not flowing anymore, right? Things start breaking down, and you, you know you're seeing you're seeing that across the real estate landscape, and it's uh, you know it, it's scary for people. I mean, there's there's going to be some pain. You know, we'll, we'll see what the Fed does. I mean, it just continuing on raising rates, it, it just seems like idiotic policy to me. But you know, I'm not the Fed chairman, so. Yeah, that's the crazy part. Uh, they're obviously brilliant uh, folks, but most of them are uh, kind of um, academics. They, they, they are professors. They, they, they're, they're scholars. They're not necessarily business people. And in theory, all this stuff sounds great as a way to find inflation and practice. They're causing problems that they won't see from for a long time. And uh, they're supposed to be data-driven, and often the data they get is in their ears. So... Yeah, let's hope at least the 10-year Treasury last couple of days, well, well the entire uh, yield curve, all spectrums of the yield curve over the last few days after the uh, SVB bank and the uh, Signature Bank collapse, has, uh, the yields have dropped uh, substantially in a very short amount of time as the market uh, is, is fleeing to safety. Um, but that that's another crazy side effect. What's going to happen with, with a number of these regional banks Whose balance sheets are substantially impacted, uh, and and there's a concern, there's a flight to safety to these large, uh, uh, let's just call it, I don't know if they're big five banks, but the large banks are probably seeing in 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 flow of cash. The question is what where the cash is going to go, but the small banks are going to bleed, and a lot of economy is driven by the relationship with the smaller banks. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. Hopefully, not in a really bad way. Yeah, I mean, one would think that you might see the Fed, you know, at least take a pause on this next round just to catch, let everybody catch their breath. 
right? But uh, what do I know? Yeah, we shall see. The news will come out fairly soon. Um, what do you see happening the rest of the year? Um, actually, it came out of the conference. There's a lot of maturing debt, uh, a lot of bridge debt maturing, rate cap expirations. How most of these real estate projects going to survive? They're going to need to raise more equity capital. They're going to need to raise fresh capital, capital calls. Are they going to go get some bridge debt to keep them afloat? Just curious, because the project itself may be doing phenomenally, executing on a plan really well. But if the maturity loan matures, what do you do? Yeah, well, I would say my historical experience in all these years is that you know debt is kind of the number one variable that causes the most pain for people. Um, you know, it just it just is. So I think people. I, I to answer your question, I think it's a combination of all of the above, and it's very situation specific, right? It, it's going to be asset by asset, deal by deal, as to what people do uh, to uh, to try to resolve the problem. And in some cases. The problem will not be resolvable and there'll be serious pain and, and equity will be lost you know and in other cases there might be solutions to it whether that's pref equity or mez or rescue capital that comes in at a senior position you know in which case the common you know most likely takes a haircut on the outcome depending on how long you know it holds if if people have to refi they're going to have to refi at higher levels which probably means that Things don't meet debt coverage, which means you got to buy it down, which means you got to bring in more equity. That either comes in from new, fresh capital with with new people that are probably going to command a, a preferred position, or capital calls for existing investors if they want to protect, you know, protect that position. So it's just very deal and situation specific, um, in my opinion, Mike. Yeah, that's that's a very it's a, it's a reality hit feedback. Unfortunately, um, the reality may be harsh in some situations. And it came out of the conference that there is a certain amount of, a substantial number of uh, these loans that are just not refinanceable in the current state of, uh, of capital stack. So some loans will just not be possible to refinance without major cash infusion. And uh, a lot of investors may not want to put good money after bad money. It's going to be uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, and then uh, what does the lender do, right? It's like lenders, by and large, don't like taking property back, right? So if it happens in mass, then there's, you get a lot of extend and pretend, like you know, like you used to, you know, or maybe there's some blended solutions with with lenders that take some go up higher in the stack and take a premium, you know, on the tail five, ten, twenty percent of the deal. I mean, you know, but that's going to be lender specific, and some you know might have the flexibility to. To get creative like that and others aren't so again very deal and situation specific depending on who you're you know what the what the asset situation is and who your counterparties are do you see great opportunities for fresh money uh, intuitively speaking um as more deals hit trouble and the the the, the, the assets themselves may be fine but the capital stack uh could be uh in trouble the equity could be in trouble do you see uh, workouts, better opportunities for fresh money to come in and distress financing, maybe new acquisitions at a discount? Just curious, uh, what what do you see coming? Uh, it, it's hard to imagine that that doesn't happen, you know. But the, again, those people I think are going to be looking for pref positions, which will be to the detriment of of existing common equity holders, most likely. 
you know, and I think even people coming in and prep, it's like until things stabilize, how does anybody even know what level of risk they're taking by how far up in the stack they're going? Right? Because if rates keep going up, you might think you're okay in the stack, but you're not if it keeps on going up. So my suspicion, Mike, in my, I think in the short run, people keep doing what's happening right now, which is nobody's really doing anything. Everybody's trying to figure it out. And, you know, I mean, we've underwritten a bunch of deals that we underwrote in December and January that, that you know, we're supposed to close or in February or March that by the time you get to this point, they don't even pencil anymore, right? Because the rates have shot up so much in that short period of time and, and the availability of debt is gone, right? To the point where you have to re-underwrite the entire deal and it, it does it makes no sense now. So without going and retrading your, your you know, existing or your seller, it, it just, deals are just not happening. You know, existing deals, I, I think what happens in every cycle like this is that everybody in the world has what they have, right? You, you've planted your garden with whatever, you know, uh, vegetables you've planted and that, and now your garden is your garden, right? You, you have it. Now you have to figure out how to make the most of that garden, right? How do you not lose, lose crops? How do you produce something out of it, even if that production is less than you anticipated, right? It's you just have to try to do the very best you can to manage through whatever garden you you have, you know. And then at the same time, you say, okay, I've got some additional acreage over here. What else can I plant? What does it make sense to plant now, based on what we think is going to happen going forward? Which of course nobody knows for sure, and everybody's got a guess you know, or an opinion. So, you know, people will plant new vegetables based on whatever they, you know, believe the, the weather's going to do over the next year or two or three or five, depending on how long, you know, the cycle is for those, for those, for that fruit to bear. Yeah, that's a great analogy. Uh, certainly we all are, fo are focused on what we've got. There is really, that's all we can control. We can't control future deals. We can't control what the Fed does. Yeah, and, and, even, and even then, Mike, you can't even really control, you know, all aspects of the stuff you already have, right? Because if interest rates keep going up, you got variable rate debt, you know, or your lender, you know, pulls the plug or, right? I mean, even the most competent, capable people are susceptible in times like this because, you know, thing, there's just certain things in life that are outside of people's control, no matter how careful, you know, you've been heading in. So... You know, I think all in all, if you use, if you apply fundamentals and you make good decisions, you generally come out better than those that didn't do that, right? But the, the reality of the market when things are going extremely well is that if you're going to do any deals, right, you have to be reasonably competitive with, with what else is available in the market or you'll never get a deal in the first place. I mean, I heard some guys talking at the BEC about how they apply you know, these super conservative assumptions across all elements of, you know, the underwriting standards. And, you know, by the, like we, we model in, you know, 300 basis points higher cap rate on exit. And we model in, you know, 250 basis points higher interest rate than what we actually get. And like, okay. And then they do that, you know, six times over. I'm like, well, how do you, how do you ever close anything? Right. So, 
My, my point is that, you know, everybody's got mandates and goals and targets and objectives about the money they're trying to put out. And when you're in a competitive environment to acquire those assets in the first place, right, the assumptions that were made in order to acquire those assets all of a sudden, you know, don't hold anymore. And now people have gardens they've planted that they're going to have to really, really attend to in order to be able to get any, you know, fruits out of it. Yeah, that's a great point uh, that uh, people talk the talk, but walking the walk is very hard from the point of view that, in theory, those downside protection deals, great um, conservative underwriting, all sounds good in theory. In practice, if you do it systemically, you can never get any deals done. So most people try to get one of these good, really good deals, but majority of the deals trade where they trade there's a market for those uh, for those deals that's, that's right and you can't get on a perfect deal every time no i mean look and you could certainly develop proprietary ways to find you know everybody talks about an off-market deal right to find off-market stuff or to find things that are better than others and i'm certainly not disputing that some people are better than that at others but i'd say another thing that's happened in the last 10 or 15 years is with the, you know, with the proliferation of information on the internet and, and all these services that people provide, it's harder than it's ever been to find, you know, a diamond in the rough because everybody, you know, it, there's more information that there's ever been to more people that has ever had. So like, I, you know, I'm still amazed if somebody goes in and finds some seller who's been sleeping under a rock and, you know, it's never heard of, you know, Googling, you know, what are apartments trading for in my market right now before I sell my 300 unit building, you know? So I'd say by and large, you know, people can be marginally better at finding uh, underpriced deals, but the, 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 uh, what is the word? Like the, the variance from the mean is not that high, right? It's not 30 or 40 or 50%. It might be two or three or five, maybe 10%, right? For the best of them. And even then it's not every time. All of that means that there's just like, unless you have I, the people who are going to win the most, Mike, as is usually the case, the people with the most money, right? And the most cash, because if you're, if you're low levered or you have no debt, on your assets, you know, your balance sheet might go down, but you know, you can hang on in debt forever because you, you don't have to worry about the debt, right? It's, so it's the folks, you know, and I know a fair number of family offices that we deal with, right? And they're, you know, right now they're just picking the litter, right? Because everybody needs money. And, you know, there's a lot fewer people given money. So the people with all the money are, you know, commanding, you know, very attractive terms in today's market, right? Yeah, that's that's a great point. Uh, cash is the king at the end of the day, especially in this environment when it's going to be a buyer's market. Folks who can bring the cash uh, will command better terms uh, as the deals going to be a lot fewer to take place, a lot more selective. So it's just a sense. So any other parting thoughts? Uh, we are out of time, but any great fresh book recommendation, any other idea or um, how would folks uh, reach out to look at the fund builder? Is that great? Uh, yeah. Verybest.com, I assume. Yeah, I'd say, you know, my parting thought, Mike, is I guess, you know, I, I'm, I've always been a more optimist than a pessimist, right? And I think that 
uh, out of every adversity comes great opportunity, right? It may not feel like it at the time, but it does. So, you know, some of it is just, you know, having a, a, a belief system that you keep your eyes out for the opportunity, right? You protect yourself as best you can so that when things like this happen, you know, you, you can survive and make it through and take advantage of those opportunities, but there's always opportunities. So, uh, yeah, people can reach me. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, pretty active there. Uh, fairwayamerica.com or veribas.com is the two companies. And my email address is the same at both. It's first name dot last name at either fairwayamerica or veribas.com. Matt dot Burke at fairwayamerica.com. Matt, thank you kindly. Love your parting thoughts. It's a state of mind. And I remember this expression, reinforcing what you just said. A pessimist sees a difficulty in every opportunity, and an optimist sees an opportunity in every difficulty. So <laughs> I'm also an optimist, and I share your thoughts, and I think some really interesting opportunities will be coming. And we'll persevere through this. <laughs> there are worse things in life. Uh, we just move on, and bigger and better things will happen. Let's just keep a great state of mind. So thank you for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Mike. I've anytime. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fund Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fund book, head to BigMikeFund.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot name. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.